let's start the show. Okay. To the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Joan Pettit. And I'm Armando Luna, broadcasting from the Anarchist Junction. Junction? I said Junction. Anarchist <laughs> Jurisdiction of Portland, <laughs> nestled in the heart of Cascadia. This is the show where the we bring you somewhat irreverent conversations about junctions and jurisdictions <laughs> and the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. Covering bicycling, trains and transit, adventures and life hacks. And today, Kyle moves into Cully Green. Yay! Yay! So we are talking to Kyle, and I don't know, is is is, is your daughter still with us? She you... might be coming by, but uh, right. <laughs> let's see. So we may hear from her, which would be delightful to me, um, and maybe Beautiful. not to you. <laughs> and so if you don't know Kyle Johnson, he, uh, he's he been on the show before, but I guess it was a long time ago. And I, I see him regularly because he's the owner of Go By Bike, um, which is the bike valet here in Portland. And um, I've got. I like how he says the bike valet here in Portland, as if it's like across the city and not like at one specific. Like, wouldn't that be great if everywhere you went there was there there was they do bike valet at different events too. Well, yeah, but there's not there's nothing like it in the rest of the United States. It's amazing. It is amazing. Okay, sorry. Was one of our first customers. And maybe one of our biggest boosters. Yeah. All right. So sorry, Armando, go back to gushing. Totally <laughs> I just gushing. liked the um, idea. Well, no, no, I said in Portland because we have listeners outside of Portland, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I meant as opposed to being like mostly at one for uh, one okay. employer. Yeah. Well, I don't know, but I don't know his business plan, so. Well, maybe we'll discuss that. We'll find out, yeah. <laughs> So Kyle's here, and that's that's something um, we'll probably end up asking about more about go by bike. But also, Kyle has just moved. He purchased a home. He's a homeowner now, and he purchased a home. Um, tell us a little about it, Kyle. Where you where you purchased your house? Yeah, so uh, it's kind of interesting. There's a developer in Portland. His name is Eli Spivak. And he kind of designs these uh, sort of like intentional community type uh, developments. Um, and this is his, his latest one. It's in a neighborhood in Portland called Cully, which uh, until like the 90s wasn't part of Portland. And so there's no sidewalks uh, and not a lot of city infrastructure, but uh, they do have like big plots of land. Uh, and so there's a lot of like urban farms out there. And there's a lot of really cool nonprofit housing groups as well. Um, but he was able to sort of cobble together. I think it's like one and a half acres. Um, and there's 22 different sort of like how like townhouses that are all sort of like connected and there's a walking path in between and everybody sort of shares a common house and there's a big bike room. Um, and it's just kind of an interesting, uh, level of density. People are like pretty close. What he wanted to do was have really big porches so that people could like talk to each other and it would sort of like build this community. And so we just moved there on last Tuesday, uh, and 
and we're really excited because there's about like half the the families there have kids that are Lulu's age, and so she'll get to sort of grow up with uh, a bunch of other kids. And how old is Lulu, your daughter? She is uh, two. Okay. Yeah. And so she just, we just open the door and she can get on her scoot and go up and down the, the pathway and go visit her friends. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of like an interesting way of, of living that we kind of want to, to see how it works and participate in and, you know. I'm uh, really excited to find out more about it because um totally like I actually had looked at some of the houses there and um and actually when I heard about it you know a year or so ago um did he there we go he's back um I had I looked into it myself and it doesn't make sense my kids are teenagers it doesn't make sense for us to move right now but I got really excited about co-housing and the opportunity for intergenerational living because like I would love to be I mean I have a great neighborhood with and I live near good folks but the idea of living in a more intentional community especially when that's maybe multi-generational or intergenerational is really appealing um were you all looking to buy a house and that one was available or were you all looking specifically for to live in that kind of community uh, originally we were thinking that we would like buy a house and then try to build like, uh, three, like four different units, max out the residential infill plan and just like have uh, a little community that way. But, uh, but then we saw this and we're like, well, then we don't, we don't have to build anything and it's already there. And, uh, our friends, my, uh, Michael Anderson and his wife and kid, who I think he's been on the show before. Uh, they're our neighbors, so they they were interested in, in moving in too. And yeah, with Lulu being two already, we wanted to sort of start building that community and those relationships now, as opposed to in like two more years or so. So you were wanting to do that whole community thing, community thing on your own, like on one lot. That's what yeah, like like oh, wow. use the residential infill plan, which allows you to like build an ADU and then turn your house into a threeplex. And try to like get a bunch of families and stuff uh, uh, on on that, but it would only be like four families as opposed to the twenty two that are are in this. And then, so how many folks are? Did people just start moving in, or have people been living there for a while? I don't know. Has it been built in stages, or? Uh, yeah, it's only about like half full right now. We don't, we still don't have any internet and they're still doing like a lot of some construction. Uh, so it's been a busy week and what a week to not have internet too. My God. Yeah, that's for, Oh, right. But yeah. Right. Cause you were, uh, there, there was a lot to be uh, following this week. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And then there's, uh, Eli, the developer, he lives in one that's across the street, um, and so they're kind of like connected by this, uh, path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And does it already, so did you, um, I mean, and when you bought the house, was it like the same, it's not like, uh, like I think when people move into something like somebody has to approve you, whereas this is just like buying a house, right? Like you're yeah, making an offer and you're part of like an HOA. Yeah. Okay. And so the HOA, there's like a shared like sauna and like a shared common house that will also sort of like help pay for. And then in the common house, there's a few apartments if people come to visit. Mm-hmm. Because uh, 
Yeah. And it's like yeah. the, the units are pretty big for us, but for some of the older boomer generation that are also that are moving down, they keep on talking about how they need to downsize now. <laughs> and you're like, this is a gloriously large home. And they're yeah. like, where will we put our third set of living room furniture? Uh-huh. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. I will, I will confess that when I looked at it, I thought, um, yeah, cause I have a, I have an older home, but it's, it's really pretty big for me and my two kids and it wouldn't have been that much smaller, but it, it would have been snugger, but anyway. Um, but yeah, so I was wondering when did you make the decision to move in? How long of a process has this been? Cause the house, I mean, the house is pretty recently finished, right? Oh, yeah. They're just finishing them all right now. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty fast. You know, I think that just like this whole COVID experience has made us like really appreciate the like need to like, want to feel like we're part of a, have the security of like a smaller community. And so I think that that just like really drove it and made it make a lot more sense. I see. So it's since the pandemic is kind of, yeah, yeah. it was during the, in the middle of the pandemic and I think that just like everybody during this pandemic has had this like chance to like be like, what do we want to do? And like, how do we want to like spend this time uh, together? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we like some security because we're not getting that much security from the federal government or anything. So, I mean, I definitely thought, where do I want to be living in the apocalypse? Because that is clearly what is happening at this moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> Good to know your neighbors. (laughs) The house that you were in before, were you renting? We were, yeah. Uh huh. And then, Uh, but but you were doing sort of the same thing where you were renting on Seventh, right? You were creating a community or helped organize the community. Yeah, we were doing all these block parties last summer, and yeah, that that was pretty sad because we did like create a, a community here and it was just really nice. Whenever I went outside, I like knew people and that's just like a really great feeling when you like walk outside and you like know your neighbors and, uh, and especially there's like a lot of kids on around here too. They're a bit older, but, uh, but still, yeah. It'll be a, it'll be a, um, yeah, right. I mean, I've seen that I don't live that far from you. I don't know, maybe within half a mile or so, or maybe a mile, but, um, and I know that I have seen like results of your community behavior as I go on walks in the neighborhood and things yeah. like that. So. Like kind of create like a little bit of an identity at the start of the COVID I would, I have this like electric scooter and would like scoot at every day at lunch up and down the street wearing this penguin costume with like some music playing. And it was like trying to like, you know, make people not go crazy. And, and there was uh, this one kid that would come out every day at lunch and he would always tell me a joke and uh, like a, a stupid like kids joke, but they're just like, it's so cute. And I would always look up a penguin joke to tell him. And then, so I tell him this penguin joke. Oh, that's lovely. So yeah. that's, uh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure your penguin costume will be very welcome in your new neighborhood. Mm-hmm. 
So what's um so some of the okay, so there's some you each have your own individual homes and then there's an H HOA, but then you also have like a community home and there's like uh is there like going to be like a community garden too and play yeah. area? Uh-huh. The garden is kind of like a a, a, a couple like really old like evergreen trees that are sort of in the middle of it that we could do like go camping or something out there or like have fires um and yeah Cully it's just a really interesting neighborhood to be in because it was recently incorporated into Portland and so it has these amazing trees uh that are just super old still that didn't get cut down um but there are no sidewalks. That's that definitely sucks. Oh right. So in your in your little in your little neighborhood and development, it's easy to move around because it's made yeah, for that. But then uh, once you want to go, like if you want to walk to the grocery store or something like right. that, that's yeah. when the that's when this part of town that we're in, which is older, has a lot more infrastructure. Is that yeah, right? yeah, and you know, I think that that speaks to just like the need for like more like public investment and this kind of infrastructure. Like when it is only like accessible to like a, a privatized, you know, development or something, um, that's that's not very helpful. But anyway, hmm. yeah. Well, that speaks to. I mean, that's a bigger right. That's a that's a part of town that has been kind of neglected, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and then isn't has not really gotten all of the attention and infrastructure it needs. No, um, hmm. there are like two brand new parks that the city put in that are really pretty nice, and like a skate park and yeah. But does 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 Lulu skateboard yet? <laughs> I think two? that she will. <laughs> yeah, we went down there at night one night, and we just sat and watched everybody skateboarding. And, uh, yeah, I, I told my uh, partner that I think that Kate's or that Lulu's going to break a few bones at that skate park for sure. <laughs> hey, Kyle, you, um, you talked about making your community on when you were on over on seventh, but you talked about Cully, um, Cully green, right? Is that what it's called? Cully green. Mm-hmm. That's a new place. <clears throat> Excuse me. Being, uh, an intentional community. Can you talk more about what that is, an, an intentional community? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, in like uh, maybe like 100 years ago or so, like there were like needs that you, like reasons to have a community. And I think that right now we've built like our neighborhoods so that, and with technology, you don't really need to have a community. And so the idea behind this is to like design buildings in a way so that it like encourages more of a sense of community and connections and, um, and just like more like shared spaces, I guess. And so like, it's, it's designed with the intention that, uh, that it will like, you know, create those like social relationships and social capital. Whereas like a normal neighborhood uh, in a city isn't really designed around like building relationships. It's designed around like building. Like building transportation corridors, right? Yeah. Uh Yeah. 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 
Yeah, yeah. Well, because that's one of the to to design a city, an intentional community city. Like that's what we should be doing, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's what's really nice, right? Like because it's designed to be dense, and uh, as I see, it's designed to be like dense, but also cars aren't right. Like it, but like with gathering places in the middle, which Mm -hmm. is yeah, yeah. When you don't, right, and, when you don't need as much space for cars, you can do a lot more community space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, to get a car parking spot costs fifteen thousand dollars at Kelly Green. So, wow, one car spot, and you and you purchase basically a parking spot, or or you don't have to. But I mean, wow. So so the presumption is not that like you know every house has a driveway and a garage and all that it's no yeah no there's just like some car parking at one end and then at the other end and then the rest is all sort of like walking space Mm -hmm. so yeah a lot of the houses don't even have like a driveway access or access to the parking Mm -hmm. wow that's that's really how does that feel after being on your on your street which is pretty busy you know It, the, the biggest thing is just like feeling like safe, letting like our like two year old go outside mm-hmm. and that like, yeah, because whenever we would walk down 7th, you know, right by like Irving Park and stuff, we're on the, the side of 7th where there's no like car, park cars. And so cars are going down pretty fast and the sidewalk is, is super narrow there. And so, uh yeah, just like your heart rate goes up. I just like felt like the stress. And now to just like be able at night to open the door and just let her like go outside uh, is pretty, pretty nice. No, man, that just reminded me of uh, the person that was um, somebody I follow on Twitter. I, I think they accidentally dropped a wig in the street, but then they realized <laughs> that the wig was slowing car traffic down because they didn't know if it was a live animal or not. So then they were just throwing wigs in the street as traffic calming devices. <laughs> That's awesome. Maybe, yeah, I was going to say, maybe you can go back over to your old street and toss a couple wigs down. And yeah. That can be your parting gift. My favorite is uh, one time I was in Mexico by like an elementary school and they had these like cutouts of people, uh, but they looked really real. Like from, you know, even like 20 feet, you would think that it was a real person and they just like stick them in the street. So uh, hopefully they don't have to terrify people into slowing down. Yeah. uh We could, we could use a little more terrifying people into slowing down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really, that's really exciting. I think the thing when I was looking at it um, that really appealed to me is again, the idea of, yeah, there being a, a community, but also like I would, you know, my kids are 15 and 17. I would love to be around families with young kids. Like I'd love to be the, you know, sort of like neighbor aunt who will, you know, get to hang out with little kids for a little while, but then, you know, I, I don't, um, I don't, I don't want any more. Then walk away. Yes. <laughs> and then, and then deposit them back with their parents at that, at that time. Yeah. yeah. Or being part of something, especially, you know, as a, as somebody who, you know, right. Like if you're not necessarily partnered, it can be a really rich way to have a shared community too, mm-hmm. if you don't live with a partner. Um, so, yeah. So that's something. 
Mm. That's something that seems pretty cool. But and so there are older folks too. It's not just young families yeah. who are moving. I, I would say it's like half and half. Half like young families that are all like in their thirties with like brand new kids, and then the other half are like older, like uh, uh, like retiring people. So you're saying there's no Gen X in these places? No, yeah. We've got no. the boomers and the millennials. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have to figure out how to get along. <laughs> it's like it's like the clash of the generations. And then we need uh, some I Gen, Gen Xers. Gen X went away. I thought Gen X didn't. I'm right here. Anymore. I'm right here. What are you talking about? I went boomer to millennials, right? Isn't that... Our our vice president-elect is Gen what? X. Yo, what are you, Armando? I'm, I'm Gen I thought X. she's boomer. Yeah. Armando is, is 25 years old. Armando. <laughs> you, you're Gen X, Armando. He's, he's a Zoomer. <laughs> I used to think I was a millennial until the Zoomers came along. <laughs> Are you? Wait, I'm trying to think. So you're, Armando, you're probably old Gen X, right? Or no, tail end of boomers, which. No, I'm a boomer. No way. Weird. <laughs> No, wow. I, I disagree. Well, I guess that means you could You're... move into color green. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Armando gets to be like an honorary millennial because <laughs> you hang out with so many young people. <laughs> do do hmm. more young things than young people do. That is true. He's you know he's very he is a man about town hmm. when such things are allowed. Hmm. Um. Hmm. Well, this is really exciting. I mean, I'm sure there will be like interesting, strange things that happen as part of this community, right? Like, you know, like I imagine, is there already like a group chat or email list where people are talking about, you know, trying to garden plan and do all that sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah. And like the Zoom calls, you can really tell the uh, boomers from the millennials. (laughs) (laughs) Just the, their ability to use the internet and technology. Uh, but yeah, right uh, before we moved in, I actually was organizing uh, like a community bike ride. So like every two weeks this summer, I would just like have like a little like meetup and everybody who was moving there would all meet and everybody wore masks and they would just sort of bike around the neighborhood or uh, bike from different spots. And That's that was like, a pretty cool way to sort of like get to meet people and, um, and interact with people. You're so community minded. I feel like any neighborhood would be lucky to have you. Yeah. I don't know why I in that way, but it just seems like you get so much value out of like being in a community and like being around other people, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I feel like the same, similar way with the bike ballet, you know, it's like, like a community, it's this like place where you interact with other people. To me, those interactions are always like the most valuable. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Well, like, can I let's can we ask you a little bit? So, yeah, are you? Do you have? How will the bike valet take over the world? This is the. I clearly <laughs> you are you've got big yeah. expansion so, plans. And uh, I don't know. No, I'm making this up. You just said something about the bike valet and Armando mentioned that. Do you, yeah. How's that been going with the pandemic? Cause your numbers really oh, went down a lot, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. They, it's not the same. Um, yeah. Did so, you keep working there the whole time? Yeah. Or yeah. you stayed open throughout. Uh-huh. Okay. 
Uh, we only like we've only had like one person there at a time right now, and at the start of the pandemic. Um, but yeah, it's been really interesting. Who would have thought that you know, like starting a bike ballet at a hospital, you'd be like on the front lines of this pandemic? Um, yeah, so the bike ballet—it's been around, I think, for like eight years now at the bottom of the aerial tram, and. You know, the, the year before we started, there was maybe like 200 people parking at the bottom of the tram. And then like last year, there's probably, you know, like 600 people. Um, and that's extraordinary. Yeah. That's amazing. Years, there, there's no other place that's had like that level of like growth in bicycling. And there is, you know, they like put in the Tilcom Bridge and stuff. And there are a lot of like great bicycle improvements around there that I think contribute to that. Um, but yeah, I think that like, just like one of the big things, surprising things about the bike valley that I've learned is that so much of it is about like a community and having people to like talk to when you drop off your bike and that like incentive makes you want to bike more. I feel like, and yeah, I've just been really like lucky to be able to like hire really cool people to work there. Um, I'm gonna work there someday. What was that? <laughs> That's your. I'm gonna always... work there someday. That's my goal to work there <laughs> on Sunday. All right. No, someday. Oh, someday. Oh, yeah. yeah. Armando's like, if you mean this Sunday, that's fine. I'm in. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a that's you know that's really interesting, right? So it's not just a service; it's actually part of like developing a community of bike a culture around bicycling to work. I think. Mm-hmm. That's that's a really good point. I know that when I started bike commuting, uh, the couple coworkers I had in my department, not just at my larger employer, but in my department who also bike commuted were folks I talked, especially when you first start, when you're just like, it's, you know how to ride the bike, but you're trying to figure out like, what are the best routes or like, what's the good way to deal? I mean, I mean, you know, what, what's the best, what are the best clothes to wear when you start biking year round? That's a big deal. Like making that shift to your first winter. And so being able to, Talk to bike, somebody. Yeah. yeah. The bike ballet is basically like at the end of your like journey, you get to talk to somebody who's like an expert on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's pretty impressive. So you stayed open the whole time, just sort of with fewer people there. Is that it? Or. Yeah. I mean, we've got like a big like glass shipping container basically. And so we just at the start of it, when the stay at home order was in play, we just sort of like stayed in the the shop and we didn't really do that many repairs and people, we just sort of like washed over the bikes. And, uh, I was a little bit worried when we started because we're like contract, we have a contract with OHSU and the the president of OHSU had this news story about how they need to do all these cuts and they're going to start with all the contractors. And so I was like, Oh, that's not good. But, uh, but the, uh, the like head person of transportation said like, we're going to like, we have to cut everything, but I don't want to cut the bike program. Um, which I think is, is pretty cool that, uh, that OHSU just sees so much value in, uh, getting people to, to ride their bike to work. Um, 
and yeah and then during the summer and uh, we just started doing like free repairs to try to like you know encourage people to ride their bike more we don't valet bikes anymore people just sort of come in they scan their badge and then they like uh, park their own bike and then when they come back out they scan their badge again and we just like make sure that it's their bike that they're picking up um, and then we do repairs too and uh, this year, we also started this, I bought a second shipping container, and we have a uh, electric bike showroom. So I partnered with like a, three other um, uh, electric bike shops in town, and they gave us like five bikes, and we just have them there for people to check out for free for the weekend, for the whole week, and they can sort of like test ride an electric bike. And we're not selling any, but, uh, but you can test ride them. That's great. And you just did that because that's cool. I mean, like, that seems that's fantastic yeah. well, that you're doing that. Yeah. So I like, get back to the question of like, how do we take over the world? I think yeah. that it's, it's about like developing this like transportation hub model. And, you know, I think I sort of see, I would love to see like the, the, uh, go by bike, you know, it sort of like combines with maybe like a velo cult and, you know, a whole bunch of different things to sort of like, like maybe a market space. You just like have this space that's super adaptable. Um, and you can like, maybe there's like car sharing there and you have like, you know, cargo bikes that you can check out and a community tool library. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's just like, I think that there's a lot of, uh, I think that for, for Portland and a lot of cities to really embrace um, different transportation modes, we need to be able to reach uh, more like places where there's de uh, deserts, where they don't have bike shops, where they don't have access to a lot of these things. And so if we can create where they're like pedal blues, it doesn't happen. But if we could create like a little like transportation hub in like East Portland that like operates pedal palooza rides and sort of like helps build that like culture and community, um, maybe then we can take over the world. <laughs> That's I think I think you can. And I think maybe you should team up with Armando to do that, because I think yeah. he would also be good at that. Um, that's great, though, because like your community minded focus that has played out in your neighborhood and now in your new housing is like also how you're approaching uh, your work. So that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, one great. of the things I talked to Kyle about uh, when I'm there and he's there. Uh, if you're not familiar, so OHSU is, is an academic medical center, which is a hospital and, and a teaching and learning hospital. But so it had to stay open. It's a, it's a hospital. You know, patients were going there, had to stay open. So part of uh, the essential worker thing was people were still coming to work. People still needed to come and have different ways of getting to work. And, and they were worried that they were going to run out of car parking spots. And so they still wanted to, like, encourage people to ride their bike. Right. Because for employees, I think uh, I think they ended up um, having free parking for mm -hmm. employees um, that were working, the essential workers, because uh, a lot of a lot of the staff, myself included, were working remotely. And I actually had started working remotely before then. But, you know, once people started working remotely, there was less of a demand to actually have to park on the hill. So I think they were thinking more people were going to start driving. Uh, but I don't know if that ever happened. I, I'd, have to, I'd have to check. Um, but the interesting part is it's at the base of the tram. The tram is a way to get to the hill where the hospital is. 
there are clinics down on the waterfront where the tram is too. Um, but the general, generally it's outpatient care is down at the waterfront and inpatient care is on the hill in general. So you would get to the bottom of the hill and you'd take the tram up to the top if you need to, um, especially for employees, a lot of employees. Um, but the area where the go-by bike is is right under the tram. And it's it's not a very big area. I mean, you guys have expanded a few times and they've put in more things to help you expand, but you're mm -hmm. so, sort of limited. I'm looking at a map right now because you're I sort of limited. There's a, there's a street there. there. Yeah, there's a street there, but then there's the Zydell Yards, which was a shipping building repair company. <laughs> I guess it's still a company. Um, but these giant ships would be there at, and getting worked on. But um, I don't know if they actually stopped business or just moved away from where they are. But now all that land is there. And, you know, there are, of course, all these plans to rehab the land and do all these different things. And a lot of that stuff, stuff is on hold. But uh, in the past, there was a food cart area on that street so there were about eight food carts there and it was really popular people would come off the hill take the tram down grab food head back up or just a lot of the people down on the waterfront and uh now they're all gone again because of whatever reason but uh getting things like that back just what kai was saying about create a, a, a like a go-to area i think that was the whole deal with the whole south waterfront they wanted it to be a destination and the the city wanted it to be a destination where you didn't have to drive there which is why the streetcar goes there and the bike lanes, et cetera. Well, I feel like I could talk about both. Ar Armando, what are, you, what are your memories of the using the bike valley? You probably, I mean, when you were working, you would park there every day. And I remember Armando would always like bring like six packs of beer to like <laughs> working there. And like, no, you're talking would have like a new employee and like Armando would like give him this beer. And then I would like show up. The, they would always be like, ah, this guy just like brought this beer. Like, that's not my beer. I don't know how it got there. <laughs> well, no, because it's like, I mean, when you, when the, when the, when the Bobby bike first opened, I didn't use it when it very first opened because right. I didn't yeah. go that way. And I was going a different way. And then I'm like, it doesn't really save me time to go that way. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try it and see if it saves me any time. And I didn't, it wasn't the thing about saving time because it actually worked out to be the same amount of time. But just like Kyle said, it was turned into the community of talking to the bike valet folks and making friends with them. And it was so fun. And so, you know, it'd be this 98 degree day and I'd come off the hill and I, there's a plaid pantry on the hill and I would have a, some kind of plastic bag or one of those cooler things. And I get, I had like a, buy a 10 pound bag of ice and, a 12 pack of beer and put it in there and rush out of the hospital without anybody looking at me carrying all the sliced up beer. <laughs> you know, I go down to get my bike and like, here, this is for you guys. And when you're done, you know, and they're like, Oh great. You know? And then eventually they're like, Oh yeah. But first it's like, Kyle said first, like, well, okay. Uh, we're not sure what to do. I'm like, that's for you guys. So I'd set it down. I set it down in the, in the, uh, <laughs> the uh, trailer when it was used to be the trailer <laughs> and I'm like oh no that's for you guys I'm like what uh, okay <laughs> <laughs> and I remember like sometimes like when you would come in the morning and you just like hang out at the bottom and like multiple trams would like go by and we'd be like uh, Armando don't you need to get to work <laughs> and you're like uh, next tram I'll get the next one <laughs> it's just work <laughs> 
Yeah. I'm just astounded to hear you say that Armando was chatting and prioritizing a social interaction over over something <laughs> else. But yeah. Super work. Huh. Well, that's great. He's, you know, this is this is a really what great things that you are involved with. Um yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting idea, the idea of like creating Right. Like what are the things that you could do to take, you know, what, what what's your big container called? What did you say? It's a what container? Uh, a shipping container. Like yeah, a shipping container. What if you could a shipping container? Yeah, pack up a shipping container with like Armando and you know <laughs> some sort of valet service and all this stuff and put it in these bike deserts or whatever. And yeah. to create, you know. And, and maybe if we had like you know like uh, some like electric cars that you could check out on the weekend and like you know electric cargo bikes and sort of different options that made it a little bit easier to not have to have a car or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could help people yeah have you bought like a little fleet of mini bikes for the kids at cully green yet Maybe you could have a little mini. It doesn't have to be a shipping container. It could be like a, you know, like a little scaled down version of that. A scoot, scoot chair or something. Yeah. Start with a refrigerator box, maybe, you know. Mm-hmm. 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 Bike repairs <laughs> here. Greater box. <laughs> have Lulu working there with a little apron. And, uh, That's what she's doing right now. She's she's hustling, man. She's setting it up right now. <laughs> I don't know if I would trust the bike shop if I pulled up and a little baby was <laughs> the mechanic. I don't know if I'd trust I trust them to fix my bike, or... but I would definitely hang out there. Yeah. <laughs> Build some culture. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, what, have you guys talked about the election at all? What the how what you guys election? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> what election? Yeah, which one? An election. Yeah, yeah. Last week. Which election? You, you mentioned there. being being without uh, internet and how like this was a bad week to be without internet. Yeah. Uh, yeah do, do I wanted to ask like what did you refresh then? <laughs> like there's no pages to refresh or anything. Well, I, yeah. I had the internet uh, from my phone, but yeah. because uh, it, it was not very fast. So uh, yeah, but what I did do is I, I sent out an email to like what if somebody like found out that Biden had won, they, they were supposed to come out and start banging pots, and then oh. everybody was going to come out. And so that was sort of my alarm system for <laughs> uh, for if the results were in. And then yeah, people came out, started banging pots, and we did a little parade and stuff. Oh neat. Yeah. I heard I heard some shouts uh, when <clears throat> just outside of my street when you know when the calls were made on Saturday. But I have to say that I was um, not that I wasn't following national politics, but I was sort of you know there wasn't a lot I could do, so I was actually a lot more engaged with local politics. Mm, yep. And um, Armando and I were talking about this earlier because you worked with. Were you doing some work for Chris? Is that right? For Chris Smith, yeah, for his yeah, metro I was, race? Treasurer. Oh, that's right. You're the treasurer. Yeah. So that so, was. Yeah, you, you donated money. I think Armando donated money mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I got to enter all of those donations into the like state uh, election thing, which Ooh. is something that I'd never done before or didn't really know how to do. I remember I just like last year. 
like in February, I like called Chris and was like, you should run for Metro. And he was like, I am. Do you want to be my treasurer? <laughs> Great was, idea. I, I, I am. Don't know anything about being a treasurer for a campaign, but I'll, I want to help you. So I'll do it. And it was a lot of work. <laughs> oh, I bet. A lot of yeah. I saw a tweet. I saw a tweet. Somebody said, everybody I donated to lost. And I'm like, oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah Ian same. said that. Same. Our friend Ian said yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I know it's funny. I actually got like phone calls from him, voicemail from him. I'm like, wow, he's actually doing the calls. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He did a lot of his own calls. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, I know he'll continue to be involved and engaged. And yeah, I think know. it just shows just how hard it is to, to enter into the political arena in, yeah. in Portland. There's just so few seats and opportunities. That, like he was running against somebody who had been on the city council and in the state government and yeah. had all these connections, even though she didn't really have any reason for being in uh, on the Metro council or isn't very like, uh, yeah, like, you know, say land it, uses say not, it. Not <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, she just had a lot more connections and, and, and like name recognition. And that was another thing that was interesting is that like we spend most of our money on Facebook and we talk a lot about how like Facebook is like bad for democracy. And I think that it is at like a national level, but at a local level, it really did allow us to like uh, get this like message out to yeah. more people more efficiently in a way that we couldn't have normally. Um, well, it knows so much about all of us who are there that it can really target things really well, right? So the things that make it like creepy <laughs> as a user are the things that if you're trying to get a message out, they make it really easy to like target to your audience, right? So, yeah. Do you think it was even more so effective because of COVID and people not being face-to-face? -face? Yeah. Yeah, nobody was knocking on doors or anything. But, uh, yeah, but, and you can also, like, target it by, like, zip codes in different areas, too, which is helpful for, you know, the metro race, which is just certain neighborhoods in Portland. Whereas, like, buying, like, TV ads are, like, really expensive, and you don't know who you're really reaching. Mm. But I bet you probably reach the people that you want to reach if you buy TV ads. Because I haven't seen it. I haven't seen a TV ad in years. But have oh, you really? seen TV in years? <laughs> have you seen TV? And I don't know. I feel like when like was, the last few days, I was like, oh, maybe I should watch live TV to find the election results. And then I was like, how do I do that? How do I watch TV? Oh, um, you're, you're yeah. Losing, so then, you know, I have to open up my computer. Yeah. Oh, I'm losing this important you're losing skill. Your that Gen I X cred. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. I, I had a TV in my room in high school. I, uh, in middle school. Oh. I, I've I've watched plenty of TV. No, but you know, because I don't have a TV. I have a t one of my kids has a TV in their room and they play Xbox, but they don't. Yeah, but I had to like. It was strange this idea of watching. I mean, I watch movies and stuff, but live TV. I don't watch yeah. live TV yeah. all that often. I guess. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not young enough to be like watching streamers and you know and stuff on Twitch. <laughs> 
EOC, she went on Twitch and like four million people uh, tuned in to watch her. Oh yeah, oh, yeah that's right. Yeah. They're playing games, aren't they? Mm-hmm. You get to play some computer game with uh, AOC. Oh, yeah. Among Us. They're playing Among Us. Yeah. I did know about that game before that because I had heard about it from one of my kids. That is the weird thing. Like, you're, you know, like, you you're definitely get to be uncool. I mean if I was ever cool, right? But then when once you have teenagers, you have this little glimmer again into what's cool through your kids. Like and and by this age, like by then you have totally given up any pretense of being cool. But you have a like little glimmer, right? So there's certain like slang and things that I feel like I I know about. But you know <laughs> Does it give you really like, like a sense a sense of hope that maybe you can you can bring it back? Like maybe uh Maybe oh, for myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, maybe I can no, be cool. Again. I think no, they're for me. <laughs> no, yeah, my TikTok. <laughs> 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 yeah, like I'm, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. <clears throat> Have you not seen? Oh, there are. Yeah, there. <laughs> No, I think, I don't know. I think, well, now we're just talking, now we're completely off topic, but I think there was something for me about like once I got to 40 where you're just like, well, I can't pretend anymore. Right. Like, it's just like, you know, once you're, when you're below 40, you can still sort of maybe pretend that you have some notion of, and then after 40, especially as a woman, you're like, nobody's going to be so it's kind of freeing. It's kind of liberating, really. I don't know. What are we even talking about? <laughs> Television? <laughs> I, I don't know. I had this entire beer and I'm not drinking much. TikTok delirium. Days, so. TikTok delirium. That's what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. I don't. Hmm. I'm, yeah. Do you think that that like leads to some like feeling of like you're not like like the the boomers people that are even older than Armando, if that's possible. Uh, they, yeah, there's just like, they hate AOC so much. I, I do not understand this. Yeah. And is it because like, they just don't understand her and they could like never see themselves like going on Twitch and playing a game with three other, three million other people. Well, and then like that, like you, you can't be cool, cool when you're older. And so you have this like resentment towards like younger generations or something. Well, I mean, she's an incredibly smart, charismatic, um, successful and attractive woman of color. Right. Like those are things that if you don't like what she's saying, there's like you can be it's there's even like more loads triggering. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, because okay. people get mad, right? Because they're like, I don't know. Like, if somebody's saying stuff you don't like and they're ugly, <laughs> right? Like, then you can be mad at them and not also be drawn to them. You know, ah, I think people. Okay. Okay. Right. I, right. I so this. it's like if you're, you're if you're like an old guy who's like really not into what she's saying, and I don't know. Sorry, here's my feminist intersectional lens on all of this, right? Like it's because um, she's fantastic. And so if you're into what she's saying, it's great. But if you're not, you're going to be even madder if you feel yourself drawn to some of to her in some ways. Hmm. Right. 
Mm. So, well, yeah, I think I too, know. you know, I think they they you know they typed her as a bartender. I mean, the first thing you ever heard about, it, oh, she's this bartender. She's oh this bartender. my gosh, which is is so. And you think about you know you think about boomers, and it's like, what do boomers think of bartender? Bartender, that's the somebody that serves me. How is somebody that serves me? Hmm. Somebody, how somebody that's going to bring me my beer going to be able to run in the gov- run the government? That's not that's not possible. Hmm. They wouldn't be behind the bar if they could run the government. Well, you know, I think I'm not a I boomer, think, but I would say that qualifies you even more so <laughs> as a public as a public <clears throat> servant. Uh, those are good being, skills. Those <laughs> are good being, skills. Being in the service industry would actually be a you leg gotta, up. Oh yeah. yeah, you gotta hustle to be a bar, good bartender. But, <laughs> that's like I, I read this. Uh, there was an interesting article I read. I think it was years years ago that they were talking about people in Portland, and when they said when you ask somebody in Portland what do you do, they don't tell you what they do for a paycheck. They tell you what they do creatively. Like, oh, I'm an artist or I'm a filmmaker or, you know, whatever. I'm a community organizer. I'm, they don't tell you, oh, I work at grocery outlet and I'm a cashier. They don't say that. They say what they do, what they want to do, what, what they're really like, what their life is. Life is about this. It's not about what what are the paycheck job, you know, like that give you life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this podcast, you know, that's (laughs) what I like to do. That's what I tell people. (laughs) <laughs> you're a podcaster yeah what are we doing what is uh-huh. what on earth is brock gonna do with all this <laughs> <laughs> not not up to us he's the editor <laughs> hi brock we're having fun with this <laughs> should we should we go on to our calendar <laughs> we should okay Kyle, yeah. you, you want to oh sorry I'm yeah right. i was gonna say Kyle, you can stay or go if you need to go it's up to you Okay, yeah, I should probably get going. Right on. All right. Well, cool. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Hey, great talking to you guys. Keep up the great work. Oh, thanks. It's so right. nice to you see you. So I'm really excited. I'll probably, if I ever run into you or whatever, or on Twitter or in person, I will ask you way more about Kelly Green. I hope I hope yeah. it's good. Yeah, we'll definitely have some community events that everybody can come to and check it out. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and, that's great. Yeah, uh, I hope that it, it goes well. If in a year or so, like a month, I, we're moving out, then uh, then that'll mean that that model doesn't work. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I bet you'll make it at least two and, years, and we'll have no. you on even then. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pretty excited. Right on. Kyle, turns right on. Kyle turns bitter. Kyle turns bitter. He's like the boomers were right. I want a big house in the suburbs. I'm going to sell my house to a boomer. And I'm going to trade them. I'm going to take in the suburbs. I'm going to take their house in Lake Oswego. Jim, oh no. <laughs> uh, thanks for thanks for coming in. Thanks for chatting with us. Bye. We'll see you later. Uh, <laughs> These are the days where I end up accidentally over-caffeinating myself because it gets cold and I want hot drinks all the time. You want to so, drink hot water? <laughs> no. Wait, do you? Oh, man, my, oh, no. Lisa's parents drink hot water. They drink hot water all the time. What? Instead of like drinking coffee or tea, they would just drink hot water. Whoa. Yeah. I, that doesn't sound pleasant to me. It's actually... it's. Uh, 
if I'm at home alone, I don't turn the heat on as much as when Jean-Luc is here. So it's uh-huh. like 65 and it's oh, cold. Dude. I mean, it's cold. It's- <laughs> I cannot. I cannot. So I'll, I'll do, I'll heat up and just drink hot water. Really? I, some, I don't, I'm not going to drink coffee at night and I don't know. Tea is okay. I'm not a big tea fan. I've, so I've grown to like fine. tea since living here. Oh yeah. Maybe out of, out of a sense of uh, necessity or desperation. That green tea. It's okay. Uh, I'm, I'm a chai person. Tea. Chai or cinnamon tea. Oh, I like tea. chai. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Chai. But then I like, I like the real this chai is, though, but. Yeah. And this chai is, tea is okay. this is how what's I, fake I, unin- chai? wait, yeah. What do you mean by real or fake chai? How do you define those? Gauntlet well, is thrown, but what do you even mean? <laughs> real chai with milk and the stuff. In oh it, yeah. Whereas chai tea that comes in a bag that you soak in water that's oh yeah like when they call it chai but it's yeah. just a chai tea flavored bag. tea yeah. it's just no you mean tea. like when it's yeah yeah also as always thanks to our nationally recognized top beer bar in oregon beverage sponsor the beer mongers on southeast 12th and division now open for more than four thousand days consecutively they have a patio outside the place and if you're lucky you might be able to catch some sports with sound there is a big stick and i don't really know what it is but it's on the ceiling indoor and as always thanks to our generous patreon donors that keep us going calendar if you have a covid responsible event you'd like to promote let us know the sprocket podcast at gmail.com is our email address you can phone or text at 503-847-9774 and i would like i would like somebody to leave a voicemail at that for a calendar event that would be great and our twitter and instagram is at sprocket podcast First Saturdays in PDX, the Civil Unrest Ride. Join them once again at their monthly ride. Uh, They are asking that everyone who attends bring a mask and that they stay at least six feet away from each other. We will be, they will be placing notes of hope on two bridges so that they can do some more riding. There will be one supply stop and one park stop during the ride. Every second Friday, the Boston Bike Party. Every second Sunday in PDX, the Corviday bike ride, bike club ride, mask up and social distance because COVID-19 is still raging. That's a quote from them, but also I agree. Uh, new entry I added today, every other Tuesday, the Tuesday Road Rascals. It used to be Tuesday Night Adventure and they handed the crown over to a new leader and they All renamed right. it the Tuesday Road Rascals. So they're located on Facebook if you want to find more about that ride every two every other Tuesday. That's here in Portland. Yeah. Right on. Okay. Did you see I just deleted that thing that already happened? Yes. However, like magic. There was oh, also, yeah, there was also a link it, to the video of the thing that already happened. Yeah. Oh, this is where I put that. 
Oh, man. <laughs> oh, no. There, look, I put there it back. Go. Oh, there you go. Ah. Oh, control okay. Z, control Z, control Z. I didn't do anything. I'm, it's... No, so last, so last. Look away. November sixth. November sixth. There was the tenth annual Building Momentum Breakfast Ride uh, that we talked about, and it actually turned out to be a Zoom. So I, I was interested to see what they did, what happened, and they had the Zoom up on their Facebook page. So there's a link here, uh, and you can watch the Zoom, and it was really interesting. Um, I, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched parts of it. So, uh, yeah. So you're saying that, that it wasn't a bike ride? It at all. So it's like a. It was like a breakfast. Uh, like breakfast on the bridge, like that's mm-hmm. a bike ride, you know, not really, but it is. Right. They had a breakfast ride, so they did it by Zoom. Oh. All right. Yeah. Headlines, headlines. Oh. Oh, oh I think we found our new headline sounder. <laughs> I'm put that to music. All right, here we go. What can compare with the thrill of a brand new bike? I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. It circles around the city lights. From Forbes, five ways the Biden administration may affect U.S. transportation. With a new president comes new priorities and direction, and the Biden administration will hit the ground running in January. The federal government makes policies that affect how goods and people move, so it is likely that changes on how this happens are afoot. Here are five ways that a Biden administration will likely affect U.S. transportation policy. One, increase government spending, i.e. a stimulus package. A Biden administration is likely to drive true infrastructure bill that could have positive impacts on airports and air traffic and control, at least. Our economy, economy needs people and goods to move freely and efficiently, and thus, any infrastructure spend will be focused on making this happen while improving safety for customers. Amtrak stays on track. Amtrak Joe has been a lifelong supporter of the National Passenger Rail Service and has spoken often of this during his campaign. His career. Any talks of privatizing Amtrak will likely be squashed during this presidency, and the leadership at Amtrak will have the strongest possible supporter in the White House. Yeah. Federal minimum wage standards could raise local costs. Um, so federal efforts to raise the minimum wage already addressed by some states would help those at the lower end of the pay scales, but also raise costs for lower transportation operators, among others. Uh, and more of this, they, they talked a little bit more about this, where um, if transportation costs were to uh, be raised, it would uh, it actually, this is not changing things for the good. Right. Just... Right. Um, it's interesting just for the good. So they talked about more. Um, it's interesting more that they traffic. they connect that to the federal minimum wage being raised because I don't I don't know if I agree, but I'm also not an economist, so yeah, I, guess my, I can't. Really uh, basically, I think they sort of implied that people are going to buy more cars. Let's put it that way. Uh, more regulation, consumer advocacy, focused regulation, active in the Obama administration, but quiet for the last four years, may reappear through airlines, though airlines will push against this. This could be focused in areas of ancillary revenue charges, seating density, taxes that would be passed on to customers, refundability, and more. And cars, improved gas efficiency standards could raise the purchase costs of automobiles and trucks. And support for organized labor, the U.S. airlines and railroads are highly used unionized industries and a Biden administration with a more progressive labor agenda will be friendly to collective bargaining. 
This will have no immediate impact on deals currently in place, but could change the tone of future negotiations. And uh, the item I saw in the news was linked from Bike Portland. And uh, the article is the petro masculinity of this weekend's Trump highway rallies. And this is from Gizmodo on November 2nd. In the campaign campaign season, highways from Texas to Kentucky to New Jersey, I don't feel like that's entirely the whole country, but anyway, they were overrun with Trump-supporting caravans. They tried to run a Joe Biden campaign bus off the road, held up traffic, shut down a bridge, and generally pissed people off and intimidated them. It's emblematic of the Trump era, particularly the seamless blend of fossil fuels and toxic masculinity to preserve the status quo. It reflects what Virginia tech researcher Kara Daggett in some research she did a few years ago, uh, referred to as petro masculinity, the concept that fossil fuels are a central part of not just the economy, but also identity. This is pretty interesting stuff here. I read the Gizmodo article. I haven't actually gone and um, it links to the research article that Daggett wrote. I haven't actually read that yet, but it was really interesting to see this analysis. I think this is, um, you know, something we hear folks talking about. Um, Angie, what's Angie's last name? Angie Schmidt. (laughs) I can't remember now. I'm going to, anyway, what we see that important pedestrian writer and researcher, Angie, whose last name I'm not sure of talking about on Twitter about this, you know, trucks are getting bigger and uh, beyond what we actually, what you, what's actually useful as a working vehicle. They're not being used as a working vehicle. Um, Schmidt, you know, you, Angie Schmidt, Schmidt, Angie Schmidt, an uh, extraordinarily bright and talented person who writes, who knows a whole lot about this stuff. And, you know, trucks are getting like the front is getting so high that you can't even like a little kid. You couldn't even see them if they were like, you know, five there, feet in front of your car. Yeah, there was. Well, there's two things that come to mind. Uh, one, a long time ago, uh, as these, for lack of a better term, reactionary proto-fascist groups start rising up and and doing their their rallies and stuff uh there was like this rise of of vehicular violence there was a number of like i think city lab did an article on it even bike portland kind of touched on it this was like in the early days uh so it's interesting that uh, there's actually a name for this now. <laughs> it's called petro masculinity. Uh, I would love to read more about uh, what Kara has to say about this because um, it really does. Again, I I'm not a scientist. I don't. I'm not a social socialist, or I am a socialist in a sense. I'm not a. <laughs> You're not sociologist. a social scientist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but uh, it it really it. It at least rings true to me the the to quote this article the seamless blend of fossil fuels and toxic masculinity uh, to preserve the status quo uh, seems to ring true to me. Um, so there's that. Uh, another thing I I wanted to kind of bring up along those lines. Hold on a second. We were talking about Angie Schmidt. Uh, Shoot, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Dang it. How um, big trucks are getting? Oh, how yes. tall trucks are getting? So, um, Adam ruins any everything. Uh, the 
television series for those people who still watch television. Uh, <laughs> what is television? <laughs> well, you know, it's something old people like me still watch. Apparently, <laughs> uh, they did. They did this interesting article about, or not article, but uh, section uh, on vehicles about how there is this increase of safety measures that's actually. Uh, making vehicles less safe, the the giant noses on there on on vehicles, even smaller vehicles, the the front end is getting longer and longer, and what that in the intent behind that was to create a a bigger crumple zone, you know. So in a in a head on crash, which are generally the more fatal ones, um, you have all that material in front of you in front of the the passenger of the car that crumples first before you know any harm or anything impacts the the person in the car um but again the unintentional consequence of that is now you've got this long front end everybody's going well past into the intersection and so that they can see into the intersection or then you have these SUVs with these big crumple zones and then they're even higher and you don't see what's underneath you. Uh, it's very interesting. Um, car culture. I don't okay. Like check it. this out. I just, <laughs> yeah, I just Googled this article and I'm, <clears throat> let me just uh, read you. So the, the article, um, the research article by Kara uh, Dag is called Petromasculinity, Fossil Fuels and Authoritarian Desire. And Ooh. let me just read you. This is totally my jam. Listen to this. As the planet warms, new authoritarian movements in the West are embracing a toxic combination of climate denial, racism, and misogyny. Rather than consider these resentments separately, this article interrogates their relationship through the concept of petromasculinity, which appreciates the historic role of fossil fuel systems in buttressing white patriarchal rule. Ooh. Why did I not <laughs> go into this area for my <laughs> for your for your doctor? Is it too thesis? late? It's yeah, never I too know. late. It's never too late. It's never it's too like, late. So, that's like Mad Max Fury Road. That's basically yeah. yeah. And then it basically said anxieties aroused by the Anthropocene. Is that how you say that word? Anthropocene. Anthropocene, Anthropocene? can augment desires. Sure. <laughs> Yes, that can augment desires for authoritarianism. I don't understand it yet, but I think she does. And I am eager to learn. (laughs) This is an open access article, too, which is fantastic. Ooh. Toss the link up in our notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to put the link in the notes. So we'll do both. The Gizmodo one for folks (laughs) looking for the. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, I'm going to read this article and then pretend like I know everything about this. <laughs> this is what we do every week. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I'll fit right in. <laughs> You're getting the hang of things, Joan. <laughs> I feel so. I feel so at home. <laughs> I, don't get a, I don't get a paycheck for this, but it's what I do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. I'm sorry, because my, my paycheck is huge, Armando. I don't know what's <laughs> I've often so when I first moved here and people would ask like so what do you do I would I would tell them like oh you know I would tell them my job essentially like read my resume right Um, and they would I didn't get why people would be turned off by that Uh, and it wasn't until I was here for for a while that I, I caught on that like people want to know like what do you enjoy doing not necessarily like what do you do for work 
Um, and then there was this point where if people asked me what I would do, I would clarify, like, do you mean for money or like, what do I do to enjoy myself? I feel like I learned about that tonight and maybe it explains <laughs> some of <laughs> maybe, maybe I can be part, more part of Portland now. <laughs> You've been here longer than me though. Haven't you? You've been it's here like 11, long... 11 years, yeah, 11 years. You've been here a long time. Yeah. I don't, I didn't get out much for a while though. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, this is more like maybe eight and a half then. Yeah. <laughs> like, just a few months. <laughs> well, you picked a good time to go out now. To emerge. <laughs> yeah. To, to emerge. emerge. Yeah. 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 All right. Should we move on? Sure. I think we've reached the end of things. Look mm-hmm. at that. All right. Like, Yay. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I rue the day that we ever asked Joan and Armando to choose. <laughs> so here's. Wait, wait, wait. wait oh. When we're done, I'm going to tell you my idea. <laughs> okay. What's your idea? Oh, I th- you've told me this already, right? Yeah, I told yeah, you okay, yeah. I'm all on board. I'm on board with oh, I'm, on, I'm on board with you two doing this. <laughs> oh. Wait, it seems like I might need to be on board. So what's the idea? All right. Well, let's read Wait, the credits and then we'll find out. Okay. Okay. The oh, wait. Oh, hold on, that was wait. new. Let's try it. There'll be music, Joan. <laughs> Wait, wait. Is there music? <laughs> Whenever you're ready. The Sprocket podcast was formerly produced at X-Ray FM Studios. Thank you, X-Ray. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text to 503-847-9774. And yes, call. I want to hear a voicemail. We want to play a voicemail on the next show. For sure. Someone call Armando and talk to him. Please. Okay, Twitter <laughs> and Instagram. Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Hurt Bird for our headline sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to the generous support of our Patreon supporters and listeners. Shadowfoot. Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson. Happy birthday, Eric. Happy birthday. Cameron Lean, Richard Wazenski, Tim Mooney. Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Wise. Todd Parker, Chris Smith, Caleb Jenkinson. JP Cooley, Peanut Butter Jar Matt, Marco Lowe. Rich Otterstrom, Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Welder. Anna, Andre Johnson, King of Division, Richard G., Guthrie Straw, Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons and founder of The Regrainery. Campsite, McNurse David, Nathan Poulton. Worry in Michigan, Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay. Tim Coleman, Harry Hugel, E.J. Finneran. Brad Hipwell, Thomas Skadow, Keith Hutchison. Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam. Jason Oftenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore. Todd Grosbeck, Chris Barron, Chris Barron, and Chris Barron. Sean Baird, Simon Pace, Gregory Braithwaite. 
Ryan Morrow, Dude Luna. Hey, that's me. <laughs> Matthew Rooks. <laughs> Marshall Paula at Funitake Cycle Craft. Philip M. Spartandale, no relation. Mr. T, who never really left, Bike Initiative. <laughs> oh, this is the one I tripped up on last time. Kiwana, Kiwana, Sarah, yeah, Sarah G. Adam D, go dig a hole, Beth Hammond. Greg Murphy, Myra Martinez, Oso. Isaac M, David Christensen, 503. Brian Patterson, Kirsten Graham, our newest donor, Aaron G. And all of our former donors who helped us get this far. Now wash your hands. And wear your mask. <laughs>